0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast. Where we talk about motivation, experiences,
1: and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. I'm Jared. And today we're going to talk about the Samurai Code of Bushido. And uh, we're talking about some samurai stories. Uh, Really, Bushido was a creed for samurais, and so as a brother's creed, you know, we always talk about creeds and and adopting those good things from those creeds in history or or current people's creeds. So we thought it would be a great topic to cover. We got some great stories, uh, as well as we're going to attempt to cover thousands of years of history. (laughs) So it's going to be fun. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Spartans, what is your profession?
0: Man who must say I am the king is no true king. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that make me a nightmare.
1: If I can change, then you can change. Everybody can change! Let us all unite! Let us fight for a new world. A decent world. Okay, so... When we start talking about samurais, it, it's kinda, we have to start with a little bit of historical context and understand exactly what samurai is. So samurai literally means to serve. <clears throat> That's what that word means. Um, and So Japan, when you're talking, we're talking thousands of years ago. Japan in its early di- years was simply uh, different groups of clans, of wealthy landlords, uh, and, and these clans began to fight each other Uh, over really 20% of the land in Japan that is fit for farming. So it's kind of a scarce resource. So one of the powerful landlords named Minamoto Yoritomo and his army challenged the central government in 1192, and this was known as the the Japami War. And and after he won that, he was like the biggest landlord, he won it, uh, and that was when the 700 years, 700 years of Samurai... That is so long. I mean, when we think about, I think sometimes in America we we have the we. It's hard to think back that far because our context, you know, doesn't even go back that far. Seven hundred years, you know, it's like two hundred and fifty years. Yeah, I mean, the like country's like what 1776 till now. I mean, that's that's not. But we're talking about seven hundred years of a certain way of living. So anyway, uh, that's pretty. That's a long time. So there's. Lots of his—tons of history there. Uh, The country went through a period of division where each state, you know, became independent and and they warred against each other. Uh, Eventually, in the 1500s, the country came back together, starting the Endo period, um, which lasted until about 1867, which is kind of when the the, uh, samurais died out. Or that w- that way of life was done with. Uh, the samurais were highly uh, regarded individuals and were at the top of the caste system, followed by farmers, artisans, and merchants, respectively. In that order, isn't that interesting? Though I thought it was so interesting that uh, warriors, farmers, artisans, merchants. I would think that in t- in today's society, merchants are almost at the highest. We we value merchants like businessmen, entrepreneurs. Yeah. That is so highly valued now. Uh, I would say, and farmers like, are. And
0: like, <clears throat> I'd say like warrior is almost at the, at the, the bottom, the, the all, bottom all, you know. In some,
1: some cases, you know, what was it? Uh, who, oh, Bloomberg, he, uh, he was like, oh, yeah, farmers, you just got to learn how to, anybody can farm. All you got to do is get a seed and like just put it in the ground and put water on it. It's that easy. You know, obviously a lot of farmers took offense to that, but uh you know, was, uh, that attitude towards farmers is is so bad. But I thought that was interesting how um, how they had their caste system, like warriors protect the country, and then they had the, the farmers, the people who were artistic, and then at the end, people uh, were making
0: money. Yeah, one, one, uh, and like you said, it spans over so many hundreds of years that it's like it, it really evolved. Um, the A couple facts that I had, first of all, a lot of times I feel like, oh, there were... There was like a myth that there was they were like few and far between, right? But there was actually quite a lot of samurai. Um, it said at the height of the samurai reign, right, over two million armed samurais were roaming around the island of Japan. They made up roughly ten percent of the population of Japan. They were an entire social class, um, and they were the only social class that were uh, legally allowed to possess a sword. Of any kind and carry a sword on their their persons at any time, hmm. which was kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. So I, I guess one one step higher than the, the samurai would be the uh, daimyo. Or I'm not sure how to say that. D a i m y o. These were the feudal lords that the samurais served. And so when you didn't have a samurai, you would you didn't ha- when you were a samurai without a master, you were considered a ronin. And there's a story about the forty seven ronin. I think there's actually a movie about that with Keanu Reeves, right?
0: Yeah, but I think it's kind of it's an interpretation.
1: Yeah, of the story. essentially th- that story. I, I, I briefly looked at it. It was about like um, some samurais who their uh, their master was killed, uh, and so they kind of laid low for a little while, and then eventually they came back and they got revenge on the person who had killed their master, and they slaughtered everybody in this house and then they all had kind of revenged their master and I think they all committed suicide and like a ritualistic suicide.
0: Yeah it's called uh seppuku, which I have a little bit on that uh but um oh we're gonna save that for later or get into it now. Um uh, we we'll say that for the book.
1: save it for later. Let's talk about so I, I wanted to end here. So the the endo period ended in eighteen sixty seven now, this is when the kind of samurais died out. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And there's actually a movie about that that's, from what I read, is pretty historically accurate called The Last Samurai with Tom yeah, Cruise.
0: Yeah, so The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Basically, um, this is 1867, so it's not that long ago. Um, and uh, basically, the emperor of Japan wanted to uh, become more of a, a, he wanted to westernize Japan. And the samurai class did not particularly like this westernization of Japan. And the emperor at, at this time, he was young. He was a pretty young guy, um, like maybe in his like late teens, mid-teens to late teens. And um, he was just really infatuated by the Western culture and everything else. So he created an army, and he paid... Um, different Westerners, uh, in in some cases Americans and from uh, some other countries, basically to come out and train his army in uh, military tactics and shooting guns and cannons and er- everything else that was historically kind of like a um, uh, more of a, a Western to Japan, I guess, um, not so cultural. Because um, the samurai, basically, they were known for their weapon, which was the katana or the samurai sword.
1: Yeah, but I was actually doing some re- delivery research and they used all kinds of weapons, like spears, bows and yep. arrows. And they did use guns occasionally. Yeah. They were mostly on horseback. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think most notably, you know, we think of as a katana or the samurai. Yeah, or the samurai the sword. Yeah.
0: So, so basically the, there broke out a, a war between the uh, emperor of Japan and his, his army and the cultural, culturally pure samurai that wanted to keep the culture as pure as possible. Um, obviously, when you have samurai with swords and arrows and stuff like that going up against artillery and cavalry, um, they they didn't fare as well, and they, they were eventually uh, killed off. But the the movie actually goes into one of the Western uh, leaders or generals that was hired to train the Japanese. Uh, military got captured by the uh, samurai and basically lived with them and learned the their code of the Bushido and and the respect and gained a massive respect for him and actually ended up becoming an honorary samurai himself which was kind of cool so it's good movie the last samurai
1: what is it when you say honorary what do you mean by that
0: well I think it's because i mean typically when you have a, a, a culture like that you can you have to be Japanese to become samurai, but there are certain instances throughout history where foreigners have been given the, the title of samurai. Um, I know that they uh, don't have their names on me right now, but there was three Westerners that actually did become uh, samurai, samurai in history, um, and I know I'm, I'm pretty sure there's other uh, instances where that had happened, but it was very very rare.
1: Hmm. Interesting. One of the cool things about the samurai is they often gave their swords names and they believed that it was the soul of their warriorship. So they had a lot of, uh, meaning in their swords. And I was actually looking into this because, um, during, so this is kind of deviating a little bit, but during World War II, uh, the government would, of Japan made a ton of swords. They weren't like katana type swords, but they made a ton of swords and they gave them out to different generals and things like that. And, uh, some of these people, uh, some of the J- Japanese that went to war, they took their old family swords and heirlooms, and they took that to war. Um, and at the end of the war, we said, "Hey, everybody, turn over all your swords," and they did. And and, and they were under the impression they were going to get these back because they tagged them with their names and and who they were and where they lived. Uh, but unfortunately, many of those did never made it back. And those those precious family heirlooms that have been around for centuries, uh, in some cases, never made it back. Now, I can understand. I, I, I kind of see it from both sides. One side, I see it from, like, the American side. It's like, well, we came and we conquered you, and you handed over your arms, and now it's ours. But I also see it from their point of view to say we're like, you know, this is part of my... This is not necessarily a piece of war so much as it is art. But again, they yeah. were beheading people with those swords. So it's kind of, you know... Like you could, family heritage, yeah. It's- but it's something that's, that's part of your... Like if you had a, a Luger or something like that that's... well, wow. I'm not going to use the Luger. <laughs> if you had a 1911 that your grandpa used in World War II and you took that into the World War Three, and then you were uh, forced to... Uh, It's not even comparable because it's not thousands of centuries old, but or hundreds of hundreds of years old. But um, it's still sad. Yeah, I mean, it's still kind of. But anyway, very few of those. In fact, there was the the emperor apparently of Japan, uh, and at that time there were some soldiers who were who were from samurai heritage and some who weren't. uh, And the emperor sent his family heirloom, his sword, over to the U.S., but apparently it was lost. It was lost in a shipwreck or something like that, and so no one knows where it is. It's like a very famous samurai sword that he sent over that nobody Which, knows That's worth some money. It's probably hanging on some sultan's palace in Dubai somewhere. Yeah. Up on his mantle. <laughs> um, so getting into it a
0: little bit, um, we, wanted, we wanted to talk about this, uh, basically this code of ethics and morals that these warriors lived by. Um, this was called the uh, Bushido. Bushido it has there's seven virtues of Bushido, but just to give a little bit of background on Bushido, it's it's uh, important to Japanese soldiers to become Bushido. Um, is a general equivalent to a code of ethics and morals for warriors. Um, it's basically uh, the samurai. W- Originally, actually, this is kind of interesting because of the long history of the samurai. The samurai were actually, it claimed that they were like an evil fighting force when they first started. Um, But Bushido very quickly created um, this fighting force that followed a very clear code of ethics. And so it was kind of like, almost like some ruffians that... that became these very good warriors in the original samurai but then as they evolved they started to to live by a, a certain code of ethics um and as it grew in influence actually most of the people in japan became um this this bushido came became a common belief and was respected by everyone not even just the samurai but but everyone and it's kind of interesting i just wanted to read through uh, some of kind of the it says that some of the responsibilities of Bushido, um, and it says uh, I'll just kind of read through them. Samurai are to obey their lords. It is a samurai's right to speak out on bad judgments or orders, but death is the only alternative to uh, fulfilling an order. So if you don't fulfill an order, you'll, you you know you die. Uh, Samurai must be ready to die at any time, and death in the service of one's lord is the greatest service one can render. Dishonour to lord or family is dishonor to the samurai. No dishonour can go unavenged. All debts, both gratitude and vengeance, are repaid. Cowardice is dishonorable. To study uh, the study of martial arts and literature must be practiced at all times. Drunkenness, rudeness, and lewd behavior must be avoided. Lawbreakers will not be hidden in any domain, uh, daimo, Daimyo, that's the, that's, that's the masters. The masters must expel any samurai charged with treason or murder, and samurai are to live frugal and simple lives. Um, those are kind of like some, I guess, responsibilities of of those who are living this this bushido lifestyle. And what's interesting too is you can kind of look at. Um, I saw this thing on like Facebook or something the other day where it was in. It was in like Germany or in like Italy or something, and somewhere where tons of people travel, and they had this big poster board, and it uh, basically you would you would pick a little um, you would pick a little sticker, a little round sticker dot. If you were from a certain country and you would put your, your sticker on this poster board, you know, to say, oh, I'm from the United States, I'll put my sticker on this poster board, right? Yeah. And it had like the US, Australia, um, uh, you know, England, Germany, Spain, wherever else. Um, and basically, it, it, there was just tons of random dots put all over this thing. But in the one for Japan, All the dots were in like they were like almost in perfect lines, (laughs) other than like you know two or three other dots that had been um that had been there, and so it's just interesting. It's just like the culture is is a lot more precise and it's a lot more. I don't don't know if I want to say respectful, but just from what I've seen, it's just orderly. Yeah, it's very orderly. Yeah, Um, which is really kind of interesting. I feel like kind of some of that comes from this.
1: Yeah, I had a, a a friend. From work, go to Japan, and, and she brought back some, uh, some some stuff from Japan for each one of the members of the team. And it was like, she's like, oh yeah, the care that they took to package up this. It was like a cookie or something like that that they, you know, and it was like, the care that they took to package this up and to put it in, and put the bubble wrap in and then, and then put it in the box it was just so much care that it was kind of cool. I, I thought that was I was impressed by that. Um, <clears throat> the, the, one of the things I I've, I was reading about the Bushido is that actually over the years, over the 700 years, it changed. It had changed and ebbed and flowed. And, and sometimes it was more like aggressive and other times it was more like uh, philosophical and it and, and had just... Um, and sometimes it had gone out of vogue and then back in and then people were like really obsessed with it and people were not. Yeah. A, and the government kind of a little bit changed it to, to mean something a little bit different. Um, so... I thought that was kind of interesting, but let's, <clears throat> let's go through, we have some stories to share, but let's go through, uh, some of these tenets here and then we can maybe share our stories intermittent throughout okay. those. Yeah. I'll do the first one. So the first one is called Gi and these are set the seven virtues of Bushido. So this one is integrity and I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's G I. <clears throat> so this one is as be acutely honest Throughout your dealings with all people, believe in justice, not from other people, but from yourself. To the true warrior, all points of view are deeply considered regarding honesty, justice, and integrity. So this is kind of a a war. You could say that a warrior makes a full commitment to their decisions. So that's integrity. That's the first one. Interesting. The next one here is respect. So R-E-I, so Ray maybe. Uh, true warriors have no reason to be cruel. They do not need to prove their strengths. Warriors are courteous even to their enemies. Warriors are not only respected for their strength in battle, but also by their dealings with others. So you could say that true strength of a warrior becomes apparent during his difficult times. So I like that one. What's the third one? The third one is you, YU, you, which means heroic courage. So hiding Like a turtle in a shell is not living at all. A true warrior must be, have heroic courage. It's absolutely risky. It is living life completely, fully and wonderfully. So heroic courage is not blind. It is intelligent and strong. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. What
1: was the next one? Honor. The next one's honor.
0: So the next one's honor. uh, Mayo is uh, maybe how it's pronounced. Um, a little bit of the the research I done into it. It's basically to live and die with honor is very important to the samurai. Uh, everything that they did was honorable, which meant that they did everything um, with what they believed with was with honor. And it's kind of like that. Kind of goes back um, to the, the the example you just gave of like they were sending a package and they just like were very meticulous and. Uh, took kind of pride in their work. Yeah, it's almost like even if you're just a even if you're just a packer, right? A, a package sender or whatever. You 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 take honor in your work. You take pride in your work. It's almost like an in in honor to um, uh, this is what I do. I'm going to do it well. Yeah. Um, what does it does it say anything additional on the
1: one of the things that's cool is it was it says you cannot hide from yourself. So yeah. having that and honor and that integrity. Uh, it's so important. The next yeah. one is com- uh, compassion. Okay. Um, is that one that you... Oh, it says, uh, uh, through intense training and hard work, the true warrior becomes quick and strong. They are not at, as m- most people. They develop power that must be used for good. They have compassion. They have They help their fellow man at every opportunity. So you could say, if an opportunity does not arise, they go out of their way and find one. So, compassion. Jin is what that one is. J-I-N.
0: What's the next one? Honesty? Honesty and sincerity. So, honesty and sincerity is a makoto. Uh, Honesty, uh, as they believe that being honest is everything, Uh, being honest in everything gives you respect and means that you can be trusted. Uh, Being honest basically breeds being trustworthy. And th- that that honesty was very big in, in this culture of you know there's really no there's really no reason to uh, to hide or to lie about certain things. Just be honest. Honesty is the best policy, um, and I think that's that's pretty cool.
1: One of the other pieces I like, it says here it says, "When warriors say that they will perform an action, it is as good as done. Nothing will stop them from completing what they say they will do. They do not have to give their word." They do not have to promise because it's just going to be done. I think that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. And the last one. Speaking and doing
1: are the same action. That's kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Um, The last one is loyalty. Uh, Duty and loyalty. Duty and loyalty, which is uh, And
1: uh, I see it's just chew here, but maybe it's a little bit different.
0: Oh. I just added that last part. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. (laughs) According to my research. Um, so this was uh, maybe one of the, the most important parts. This is that that loyalty of what they did. Um, the samurai were known for serving their masters, right? Samurai means literally mm-hmm. to serve. serve. Yeah. Um, and so that loyalty was important. Uh, they treated each other like family and uh, would do everything in their power to protect or help other samurai warriors. Uh, loyalty was uh, important because it meant that you could trust these warriors and that they uh, would be loyal to whatever they needed to do, um, and it was interesting. I, I was looking up some of the some of the myths of samurai, and uh, one of the myths of the samurai were that they were all good, that they were all loyal, right? And I think it's kind of like it's 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 probably like any religion, right? Not that that this was a particular religion, but it's like anything. You know, you can't say that all Christians are great people. And you can't say that all great people are, all, are Christians, right? So there's mm-hmm. always a bad batch, all right, that uh, kind of can can throw a a, a a wrench in things. And
1: if you think about those, there were like warring states, warring for a long time. So, I mean, you're loyal as one leader, but then you want to kill the other person. And so if you have a bad leader, you're going to be a bad... <laughs>
0: you yeah. Know. It's interesting. It said, it said samurai were not always loyal. Um, and... It said, uh, uh, sorry to destroy your ideal image of the fierce warriors, um, but often the case is this is reality and not fantasy. Um, It said, some of these samurai were as loyal as Tiger Woods at a Thai brothel. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. But it says, uh, in the early period of their uh, emergence, this is like in the... uh, early part of that 700 year span that we talked about, um, they were loyal to whoever paid them the most for their services. This was kind of in the days before the, the Bushido really got developed and everything else. But even during that time period, they were still samurai. That was almost like, they're almost like cell swords, right? They were, uh, swords for hire. Um, and their allegiance, their allegiance could shift at any time. They, uh, weren't always the skilled or, uh, extremely moral, loyal force that is associated with them. Uh, their moral fiber depended heavily on uh, what they were paid and by whom. Um, it says it wasn't until the 12th century that the modern image of the samurai began to emerge. Uh, it, um, And so, I just thought it was really kind of interesting that, that you don't really hear much about there were certain factions of the samurai that were not as loyal as we would like to think. Yeah. But I would say just because you have a couple of bad apples doesn't ruin the whole pot.
1: Well, I, just because that doesn't say anything about the creed, I don't think. Like, like for example, we believe that, you know, do not commit adultery. How many people believe that but actually do that, you know? Yeah. That doesn't say anything about that not being a good ideal, uh, but it just has to do with the, the imperfectness of man. Uh, but to have lofty and... and and uh noble ideals or goals as part of your creed i think is always good uh to help you strive for something better than just uh, imp- just being imperfect uh i have a really cool story here okay so um this is true like have you seen the movie 300 yeah this is like 300 dude this, this is i i was so surprised i never even heard of this before but this is a big deal in china and I read this Japan. story. Japan, yeah. And I was like, dude, this is awesome. So the, there was a battle with the Mongols uh, or called the Mongol Horde. Uh, that's what they call it. In 1273, so a long time ago, the Mongols had a massive empire that was 22% of all Earth's landmass that they lorded over, 22% of the entire Earth, of all the landmass on the entire Earth the, this empire ruled over, over 100 million people. And this is in 1273. Dude, that is a huge empire. Uh, at this time, Japan was a divided, warring state of landlords who were just fighting over territory. Uh, so the threat of this juggernaut of an army uh, was enough to quell the infighting between some of the warring houses within Japan to face this common enemy. So, you know, if you think about... <clears throat> it's kind of like similar to, like, Leonidas and his troops. You know, they're, like, this massive Persian army that's just drinks rivers dry you know that's coming and they're like oh shoot we our gotta- arrows will blot out the sun yeah exactly uh fight in the shade right uh, and so they the first invasion came in november of 1274 so the mongols landed uh and were met by the samurai they rode towards the samurai firing volleys of arrows laced with poison before retreating to stay way to stay out of the range of their opponents. Three waves of attacks continued relentlessly and were combined with use of firebombs that were probably uh, developed by the in China and, and burned not only the samurai warriors, but also their uh, mounts. And so the Japanese were forced to fall back into a defensive formation, but the Mongols could not build on their advantage and pursue any further due to a shortage of arrows. So, I mean, they came out hot and heavy, and usually samurais, the way that they fight, they charge into battle on their horseback's but when they're getting volleys of poisonous arrows shot at them, I mean, like they just didn't know how to debate against this. So um, the the Mongols ran out of arrows and stuff, and they, they what they did is re, they reboarded their ships. But because there was a typhoon, it was typhoon season. They lost thirteen thousand men and two hundred of their nine hundred ships were lost at sea. So That's
0: like the, yeah, like the three hundred in the storm. Yep,
1: exactly, and so uh, and then the Mongols. Uh, Concentrated on conquering China for a while, and then in 1279, so just you know, maybe you know, five years later, they sent more envoys, more envoys, uh, and demanded the leaders pay homage uh, to the Khan. So I think at this time it was his name was Kabul Khan, uh, and uh, it was, and the Japanese sent the the messengers' heads uh, back as the answer. that, hmm. No, we're not doing this. I mean. That's exactly like Spartacus. You know, this yeah. is Sparta. He kicks him into the yeah. thing, and he, you know, you bring uh, the, Leonidas. Leonidas. You know. Leonidas. He's like, you bring the uh, the, the, the the heads the of de- cr- dead cr- kings. crowned crowned kings. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he says, uh, so the Mongols constant. Uh, so, Kublai Q- or Kublai, who was the, uh, the kind of the time the emperor, he was uh, furious and mounted an army over the next few years to attack in 1281. So, uh, just. Two years later, and um, he had two hundred thousand men bound for Japan, and the Japanese had constructed a fourteen-foot wall for twenty-five miles along the coast of the Hakata Bay, which is where they came in last time. Uh, They also assembled large number of small boats, which were able to fight in the shallow waters uh, because they wanted to keep them. They wanted to keep these guys' forces in their boats. Yeah. And you'll see why in a second. Uh, and so this massive, massive invasion force of two hundred thousand people—I mean, that's a huge army. Uh, the uh, the samurai—they started fighting. The samurai were pushed back. Uh, uh, some of the sm- some of these groups, some small groups, were ab- actually able to make landfall on the beaches. Uh, and um, but they were able to, the samurai were actually to keep. Majority of the forces in their boats are just off the, off the, off the, off the, out of the bay. And the samurai would attack at night, attack the boats and attack different things at night, which really frustrated the Mongols. Uh, and the Mongols returned to their ships only to realize that they made the same mistake they made last time. Another storm hit and around 4,000 of their ships were sunk. Around 100,000 men died, lost their lives at sea. Isn't that crazy? This forced the fleet to return to China. This is a cool part. The typhoon and the winds were seen as evidence of divine intervention from the gods, and there were it was called the divine wind, which is known in Japanese as kamikaze. Really, and so uh, that's kamikaze. That term sounds familiar. You know, from World War II, the kamikaze pilots. That was their uh, name given to the, the the squadron of pilots who would suicide, suicide bomb Uh and, and so they were the divine wind and they were seen as as the divine wind to turn the tide of the war so I, that's, that's an crazy. i think that's an awesome kind twice. of twice like, that's kind of a, a really cool historic uh i mean that's a big deal in, in japanese history i think that's a really cool story about you know pushing back talk about the little guy talking pushing back the, the giant behemoth conqueror you know really cool
0: yeah that is pretty cool um it's just a really cool culture. Um, there, a couple of the facts that I had uh, put together was um, the the samurai were actually they were highly literate and cultured. Um, the samurai were more than just uh, your you know, very skilled warriors, um, but they were essentially nobility uh, of their of their era, and they were very well educated. Uh, which was kind of kind of cool. Um, also, there was also female samurai warriors. Uh, yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, although m- most, uh, I guess, samurai was strictly a, a masculine term. There were uh, see the Japanese bushi class did include women who received the same training in martial arts and strategy as samurai. So there is actually a story about a female sam- samurai. Uh, named uh, Tomo Gozen. And um, basically, there's th- the story on her, basically, it says once that she, she took home seven heads in one battle. Um, oh, wow. Which is kind of cool. So, uh, in a field that was entirely dominated by men, which was a samurai, um, she began her life as a concubine and... Um, to one of uh, history's most famous uh, daimyo which is like those lords right his the name feudal was feudal lords yeah lord uh minamoto um and basically uh Tome which is this female samurai went into Minamoto
1: Yorimoto, Yoritomo maybe that was the same one that uh, united uh, no
0: this is uh oh. Minimoto no uh, Yoshinaka. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Basically, she was really good with the bow and arrow and the long sword. And she rode into battle at the head of uh, Yoshinaka's army. And this is the Battle of uh, Yokotagawara, Right. Uh, in eight in eleven eighty one, so one thousand one hundred and eighty one, hmm. uh, she reportedly collected the head of seven mounted warriors. Uh, basically, it's the ancient equivalent to it says to to Le- LeBron James scoring a hundred points in an NBA Finals game. is what it says. Like
1: that's so that is so <laughs> dumb. You cannot equate a warrior fighting in battle yeah, to was LeBron like, James scoring goals. I was
0: like, uh, and maybe they're just talking about the. Uh, the likelihood of something like that happen it's is so extremely rare that it would take a a master to be able to do that. But, um, in a, a separate battle, uh, she went and kind of going along with this whole three hundred thing. She led three hundred troops in battle against an army of six thousand, and she emerged as one of the five survivors of the entire battle. 300 against 6,000. The 300 killed the 6,000, and she was one of five survivors. Um, And uh, she rode uh, in another battle. She rode into a pack of 30 soldiers and promptly beheaded the leader in one swift movement. That was another battle that she was in. That's pretty swift, man, to
1: take someone's head off in one move.
0: In one move, and just like, she rode her horse just directly into... 30 soldiers. Wow. Um, so, I think it was just kind of cool that there's, uh, you know, warriors out there of, of all,
1: oh, yeah. all kinds. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell a story about a different one. Go ahead. So, this guy was born in 1490. His name was Tsukahara Bokudin. And he's one of the most prominent figures in samurai history. So, he, over the course of 19 duels and 37 battles, Bokudin went completely undefeated garnering reputation as the most deadly samurai during the warring states period. After being given special permission from his daimyo, Bokudu went on a pilgrimage uh, to seek out the best teachers to learn from and to challenge the best samurai warriors Japan had to offer. In total, he had 37 duels against the best fighters around and set himself on the path to becoming a samurai legend by defeating all who stood before him. Once the pilgrimage was over, he, he went back to his service uh, of his daim- daimyo and once again served in his army until at the age of 37, he was allowed to settle down and open up his own Japanese samurai school c- called the Shinto Ryu, Ryu. There, he put his unique abilities with the samurai sword to good use and developed his own style called single-cut style. I want to learn that style. Yeah. Uh, it only takes one cut. <laughs> that's right. Uh, change of, so he had a major change of heart as he got older, and, and where it became more about um, not not necessarily, he focused on more on not being defeated as opposed to fighting. And uh, in his 50s, Bokudin became convinced that the true challenge was settling disputes without combat. In one famous tale of Bokudin, uh, reportedly incurred the wrath of a young samurai while traveling on a boat. Apparently, the young man was boasting about, oh, I'm the greatest samurai there ever was. Look at this sword. And like the, this Bokudin guy was just sitting there chilling and he wasn't like impressed. He wasn't like, ooh, ah. And then so the young man challenged him. And, and uh, it says the young man noticed how unmoved Bokudin was and enraged him. And not knowing who he was dealing with, he challenged the old master to a duel. Uh, Bakudin told him my art is different from yours it consists not so much in defeating others but in not being defeated I thought that was kind of cool that's something you read straight out of like uh art of war you know yeah. <laughs> and so uh when he says when it says when Bakudin attempted to explain the virtue of solving arguments without violence the young samurai insisted that the boat captain pull to the nearest island so he could so he and Bakudin could duel when the boat docked and the young man samurai jumped out, Bokuden simply grabbed the boat's reins and led it into deeper waters, stranding the young samurai and laughing as he left, shouting, here is my no-sword school. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in 1571, at the age of 83, this great samurai legend died. Wow. So That's old for it is old. that time period. 1571. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Interesting. Um,
0: so I had uh, uh, wanted to talk briefly about the, um, the seppuku, which is the ritual suicide uh, that sam- that samurais perform. Um, basically, uh, when talking about bushido, which is that uh, ethical system or, or belief code that they live by, if a samurai felt that he had lost honor according to the rules of Bushido, he could regain his standing by committing a rather painful form of ritual suicide called seppuku. Um, Basically, uh, it was an elaborate process, but seppuku was an act of ritual suicide by disembowelment, uh, seen as a respected and honorable alternative to dishonor and defeat. Seppuku, which is the ritual suicide... Could either be a punishment or a voluntary act performed by a samurai if he failed to follow bushido or faced capture by the enemy. So that's why we're talking about the forty-seven Ronin. Um, at the beginning, those Ronin that went back and killed uh, the the person, I guess maybe that and in, in the whole family that had killed his master or whatever. The story goes that they all did. They all committed this seppuku, this ritual suicide, at the same time. Um, yeah, as uh, kind of because they they broke the the laws of of bushido.
1: So is it kind of uh, you said it's a way for them to that's more honorable than getting it, it, captured.
0: Yeah, it's kind of to regain their armor, their their, their uh, honor, honor for
1: like the next life or something for like the afterlife or something like that. Yeah, I,
0: I think it's more of just not so that you so that you don't die or. Um, you don't lose that specific honor because I mean that. I guess that's that's one of the the highest things that they hold is that honor. And if they if they lose in war or whatever else, and maybe had to do with the afterlife. I'm not sure. Was that a
1: thing in the Roman Empire? Because I watched what was that one show that we watched about the Romans and the guy ends up the the uh, the one legion commander ends up killing himself like that. Maybe yeah. I do he was remember so that. Dishonored yeah, I do. I because his know. son turned against him. What yeah. was the name of that? Was the name of that show Rome? Oh,
0: I can't remember. It was a good show. It was a good
1: show on Netflix. Um, but they did this in World War II as well, right?
0: Yeah. So there was even um, in World War II some of the um, after major defeats, uh, some of the um, generals and the high-ranking officers would perform this 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 ritual suicide of the seppuku. I guess there, there's two forms of it. There's a one form that's kind of like a long form that's done ritualistic like at home and there's like this whole washing ceremony and then the person gets to eat their last meal their favorite meal and it kind of is just this long drawn out process but there's also a separate form that is saved for war and for like the battlefield and basically I kind of looked into it um, and without getting too extremely detailed uh, they have a, a it's a, a they have their long katana right and then they have a short sword A tanto sword? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's... I don't know. I can't remember the name of it. But basically, they use this short sword to uh, pierce from left to right, I think. They stick it in their stomachs, right? And they disembowel themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, That wouldn't kill you immediately, though. No. And then, after that is done, then a friend or respected person decapitates you. Really? Yeah. So... Oh. um, that is is how the the ritual is performed which weird
1: that's weird man i don't know if well, i quite well, agree with that but it's like why would why would that be honorable to be killed like that i guess it's just maybe you're like i can kill myself worse than my enemy can do to me i don't know
0: yeah or if you don't live the code then it's like you know instead of and maybe it's like i dish my, you know I, I'm dish, so honorable, I dish out my own punishment i'm right? so
1: honorable that i kill my i am so honorable that i dishonored myself i killed myself yeah
0: it's like i I realized that I did something bad. I'm punishing myself. It's almost like I'm paying the debt myself. Yeah. And so I guess I don't know. It's just, it's just really interesting. And different cultures have different things. Well, that's
1: like when we talked about uh, the Nazis and Stalingrad and Hitler was like, you know, no field general has ever. He told the guy, no field general has ever uh, survived combat or, or has ever you know given up in combat. And he made the guy field general, and he's like, you expect me just to kill, just to kill myself, or like, yeah. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. And he was branded as a coward for not killing himself. So that's so interesting. It's, well, if you ever watch the movie um, Midway, actually that mm-hmm. movie is really good because I think it's, and maybe I'm not Japanese, so I don't know, but I don't think it like puts such a negative light on the Japanese. You know, It doesn't demonize the Japanese as much as... Uh, you know, like Pearl Harbor does, you know, like the movie Pearl Harbor, yeah. it, it kind of just shows them and their tacticalness. And then, you know, like one of the ships gets damaged and, and the guy goes out and he's like, I'm the captain of the ship. I'm going down with the ship. And so he just stays on the ship and he dies with the ship. So I think there's that sense of honor, uh, that Bushido that kind of held over even into world war two, uh, and possibly to this day. But, uh, I feel like that movie did a fair for both sides. In fact, um, yeah, you know, war is war, and yeah, depending on what side you want to look at it,
0: I mean, one thing that I've always been extremely impressed with is that, I mean, the size of Japan is is really not that large. No, it's tiny. Uh, I mean, it's it's. I mean, they have a decent population, but as compared to like, you know, China and, and everything, I mean, I know there's been lots of bouts between Japan and China, and it's they they hold their own. I mean. It's it's really interesting, but well, uh,
1: there are, there's some big issues right now with it, what North Korea keeps launching missiles over to China, Japan and, and dropping stuff in their international waters, uh, and then China keeps building islands that are like encroaching on, um, well, Taiwan and, and also Japan. And there's there's a bunch of conflict right there, man. It has been for thousands and thousands of years. Sounds like,
0: yeah, that's true. But maybe it, maybe it, all they need is a big storm.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the kamikaze. <laughs> they need kamikaze. But this is a this has been a great episode. This has been really cool to look at bushido, the seven virtues, uh, and, and I like a lot of these virtues. I, and I mean, I, I can't disagree with anything. Integrity, respect, heroic courage, honor, compassion, honesty, sincerity, duty, and loyalty. I can't disagree with any of those. Those are all very noble. Uh, if
0: any of those are part of your personal creed, then I think you're doing pretty good.
1: Yeah. So it's awesome to kind of look at different cultures and, and see what they have and, um, you know, and kind of adopt those into your own personal creed. So cool.
0: Well, uh, this has been great. Thanks for listening. And we hope that you can implement some of the seven virtues of Bushido into your own personal
1: creed. That's right. Let's build our creed together.
0: Okay. Let's do it.